0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Dylan LeClaire is the Senior Market Analyst at UTXO Management. He also writes a newsletter with Bitcoin Magazine. In this conversation, we talk about Bitcoin, on-chain metrics. We talk about Bitcoin's price, the market structure, and what to expect in the coming weeks. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dylan, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FTX US. FTX.US is the safe, regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets. You can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees either. FTX.US is also the only leading exchange that supports both Ethereum and Solana NFTs. Download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP to earn these free crypto on every trade over $10. The more you trade, the more you earn. Go download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP. Today's episode is sponsored by the Bitcoin 2022 Conference. Bitcoin 2022 is the largest Bitcoin event in the world that takes place April 6th through the 9th in Miami Beach, Florida. All four days will be jam-packed with exclusive content, exciting announcements, and an incredible lineup of Bitcoin speakers, artists, and leaders. Day one is industry day for enterprising Bitcoiners who are looking to build a business or career within the ecosystem. Days two and three are general conference days featuring speakers like El Salvador President Nayib Bukele, CEOs like Michael Saylor, Elizabeth Stark, Jack Mahlers, Adam Back, and hundreds more. The conference caps off on the fourth day with the world's first and largest Bitcoin music festival, Sound Money Fest, headlined by rapper and fellow Bitcoiner Logic, featuring artists Kay Flay, Moe, Royal, and The Serpent, Apache, Asadi, and more. Stay tuned for the upcoming lineup announcement. Last year's conference sold out, and this year's is on pace to be three times larger, so make sure you grab your tickets before it's too late. Visit b.tc conference to learn more. Again, that's b.tc slash conference to learn more. Ticket prices increase on January 14th. Use promo code POMP for 10% off, and I will see you in Miami. Today's episode is brought to you by Brave. Brave Wallet is the first secure crypto wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. What's Web3? Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. Most wallets are browser extensions, a Web2 technology. That means the same old risks, app spoofing, phishing scams, and theft. Brave Wallet is different. Brave Wallet is the first secure wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. No extension required. With Brave Wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap assets, manage NFTs, even connect other wallets and dApps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions time to switch to Brave Wallet. Download Brave at brave.com slash pomp and click the wallet icon to get started. Again, go download Brave at brave.com slash pomp and click the wallet icon to get started. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Dylan, what's going on, buddy? Yes, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you?
1: Doing great. What a crazy time.
0: Very, 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 very crazy. All right. You've got a couple of charts here for us. Let's start first with uh, the commodities index. Uh, We were just talking about wheat, oil. Uh, we, we, Nickels in there, um, a, wh- a whole bunch of different stuff uh, that uh, uh, just seems to be going up into the moon. Um,
1: w- w- what is your read on this? Like, plus 30% is absurd. Yeah, year to date. And so, um, you know, for, for the 2010s, we had a pr- pretty prolonged period of uh, disinflationary commodity trends, uh, kind of riding on the wave of previous capex cycles. Um, and so, you know, following the COVID stimulus and that kind of demand shock that we gave to markets, we, we started to see rising inflation, right? Inflation is at 40 year highs in November when Powell said, all right, we gotta start to get this in check. Um, and recently, um, and this is something that, you know, no one really could have foreseen, uh, I, I guess maybe some geopolitical experts, but uh, this, this hot war that's occurring, um, really the economic war that's occurring with all the nation states in Russia is just throwing napalm on this inflation crisis. Um, I got a I note here, 11% of the global oil supply, 17% of global net gas, 11% uh, of global wheat, and 10% of industrial minerals are produced in Russia. Um, so if essentially everyone's black mark, uh, just saying, you know we don't want your commodities uh, and, and just kind of holding them hostage. And I, and I think evidently they'll, they'll work with China but there's no way to just snap your fingers and make up that demand in global markets. And so what's the result? Simple supply and demand, prices are soaring. Uh, and and there's, there's pretty wide implications for that. When you look at the bond market,
0: obviously, that has a huge impact uh, as well as this all plays out. Uh, we've seen incredible volatility to the upside to start the year. Uh, similar read on this as well.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about a fixed income product, right, uh, you're sitting and you're getting a fixed payment in fiat currency. Okay. And so uh, if, you're, if your goal as a capital allocator is to maintain or grow your purchasing power, you know, bonds that pay uh, a coupon that's above inflation is a good deal. You get, you get a payment and not only uh, you, you grow your purchasing power in nominal terms, but in real terms. Um, but if we say have inflation at 8%, and I think these next readings with these commodity markets going parabolic, these next readings are going to accelerate in terms of cpi and so you're sitting on a fixed income product what do you do well you, you dump it you sell it um so we're seeing massive volatility in the most liquid markets in the world like people think of equities as kind of the the driver but really behind the scenes these fixed income markets these credit markets uh really kind of set set everything else and so we're seeing just massive volatility in in credit markets we're almost surpassing uh the kind of COVID crisis and so uh, there's trouble uh, and the plumbing is uh, is you know saying there's 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 something wrong uh, in, in these in these global markets, and I expect volatility to actually increase. Got it. And then when we start to look at uh, the
0: junk in corporate debt, that seems to be in a free fall uh, pretty aggressively, you know explain why why that's happening.
1: Yeah, so I've covered this on the past couple of your shows uh, the previous months, and a lot of people reach out and be like, you know, aren't you kind of interested in Bitcoin? Why the hell are you covering junk debt? Like, who cares? Uh, and the reality is, um, you know, behind the scenes, there's there's pretty big implications uh, if these things are selling off. So the principal value of bonds is inverse to the yield. So when these things are selling off, right, because inflation's running hot, you own fixed income, you sell it because it's not a good deal anymore. It's not a good bang for your buck. Uh, well, what happens is the yields rise. And so what what this means, and we cover this a little bit later is, not only is kind of liquidity draining out of these fixed income markets, but also the financing costs for these corporates is rising in tandem. So, so not only are, are these fixed income investors delevering, they're, they're selling, they're getting these off their books, uh, but also you see financing costs really rising across the board for corporates. And so, we haven't even really seen that come into play yet. Uh, but this isn't just a co- kind of a corporate debt or investment, you know, uh, junk or investment grade debt corporate thing. This is just basically all fixed income products because. Again, inflation is, is so rampant. And so eventually, and I think what hasn't been priced into markets yet, unfortunately, uh, is that these inflation risks and these kind of the credit sell-off eventually leads to li- liquidity, liquidity and solvency risk uh, in fixed income markets as no one can get can get cheap financing in a historically over-indebted economy. Uh, and so, you know, there, there's, uh, these markets are spelling trouble.
0: Got it. And so when you start to look at uh, things like the corporate credit spreads, uh, it seems that uh, the drop in the S&P 500 being inversely correlated uh, to, uh, to these corporate spreads, um, you've also overlaid here the VIX on top of it. How, how do you kind of navigate the, the complexity that's involved with the relationship between these types of uh, measurements or, or assets?
1: Yeah, so you know, why look at these at all? Uh, what what can they tell you? And so I overlaid uh, corporate credit spreads, which are essentially it's it's the yield on top of the treasury yield. So the treasury market is that kind of risk-free global fixed income market. Uh, it's really still thought of um, as a global safe haven, despite you know a lot of people saying I would never own bonds. It still is that risk-free rate uh, in the global economic system. So we see this corporate credit spread, meaning uh, when this is going up, the corporate credit spread, it means that financing costs for corporates, um, and this is triple uh, B corporates, uh, is, is rising farther uh, than the actual, that treasury yield. And so that means that it's, it's harder to get financing for these companies. And so overlaying that with the VIX, you can see there's a pretty tight relationship. Um, obviously, there's, there's a lot of volatility in the VIX, which is a volatility index itself, but there's a pretty you know, pretty correlated relationship with, between these two things. And I highlighted whenever uh, both of those uh, metrics or indicators uh, are rising, I highlighted what happens to the S&P 500, what happens to equities. So equity market volatility explodes um, and it's more so kind of a function of this, the, the lack of liquidity in credit markets, which is reflected in the credit spreads. And what happens? The equity indices dump. Um, and so you know, there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes here. Um, but recently, you know, with, I think the NASDAQ is 20% off the highs. I'm not sure what the Dow or S and P is, but, uh, really the credit markets were starting to say there's a problem back in November. And now with all of this inflation happening and the kind of madness in the commodity markets, uh, you know, the equity, equity markets are, are teetering. Uh, I think that's what, what's going on. Got it.
0: And so when you start to look at things like the 10 year, uh, yield curve, uh, how much are these still like a clean signal uh, for inflation expectations and, and other metrics versus are these becoming distorted by uh, the complexity of the market?
1: Yeah. So uh, here we have the 10-year and the two-year yield curve. So subtract the two-year yield from the 10-year yield, uh, and you get what most people refer to or you know, credit traders refer to as the yield curve. And basically, this, uh, this indicator, this metric has predated when, when it inverts, when it goes below zero, uh, it's called a yield curve inversion. When it's gone below zero, it's predated every single recession since the 1960s. Um, and and even before that, it just missed one in the 60s. Uh, it was a false signal. Um, because why? You have to, if you think about how the credit system works, uh, most creditors, lenders in the financial system, they borrow short, so like banks, they'll borrow short and lend long. They'll take on short-dated liabilities uh, and acquire long-dated assets. Um, you know, like they'll borrow from the, the Fed for you know, a year or whatever it is and lend for 10 or or two and lend for 10. Um, So when this yield curve inverts, when you you can actually get a higher yield uh, by holding a two-year treasury note than a 10-year treasury note, there's problems because traditionally that yield curve uh, kind of, you'll get a higher yield the farther you go out in duration. So when this inverts, there's pretty big liquidity uh, problems in the market. And so recently it hasn't inverted, but we're seeing a pretty massive uh, flattening of this curve. And it looks like Uh, If we kind of just focus on the trend, uh, it looks like an inversion is coming. Uh, And so and this is the crazy thing is uh, whenever these yield curve inversions start to happen, traditionally, we've seen the Fed start to loosen financial conditions. But now we're sitting here with raging inflation uh, and a yield curve, a yield curve inversion potentially coming and the Fed funds rate is still at zero. Uh, So truly historic. And and honestly, the Fed is completely trapped in, in what they can do. Uh, and I, you know, I would not want to be Jerome Powell in this situation.
0: That's what we were talking about earlier. Is I don't think that there's a single off ramp or out that is positive. It's a lose lose situation. You either get recession or you get inflation. Uh, and in some crazy way, you may successfully navigate both of those in quick succession uh, and end up causing quite a bit of uh, of harm. But again, you know, if you go back to like what is the right answer, I don't know if there is a right answer. And so uh, I know you and I have a, a agreement on the idea of Bitcoin being a pretty good solution. You've got the uh, the Bitcoin price chart here going back to uh, kind of beginning of 2020 uh, when it was down in the, you know, five six seven $8,000 range. Uh, what, what's your read on where Bitcoin is now and how it's reacting to all of this?
1: Yeah, so just on everything I'm seeing in credit markets, uh, kind of commodities, equities, big picture, global macro, uh, it looks increasingly likely in my opinion, and I could be wrong here, um, that we're kind of headed for some sort of deleveraging or liquidity event. Okay, so, so what does that mean? And as a Bitcoin bull, how, how am I positioned? Well, I kind of, uh, you know, funny, I put an arrow at the bottom, uh, kind of at that COVID crisis chart. And I said, you know, Bitcoin is dead. It has failed as a store of value. Uh, and, and what I mean is I don't, I'm not calling for Bitcoin to go to 20,000 or 15,000 or to get cut in half overnight like it did in March of 2020. I don't know. Um, And so, you know, I am holding some cash and and hoping to buy blood as a long-term Bitcoin investor, but I think more so is I believe when we're talking about the Fed being trapped is ultimately what we're referring to is there there's, if there is a deleveraging event, the Fed is gonna be stuck with basically yield curve control as as an option, meaning they're gonna monetize any amount of debt they need to, to keep this game going, to keep this credit market uh, functioning properly. And they'll probably come out and use all sorts of jargon uh, to, to explain why they need to do it. But ultimately this is kind of the end game of this, of this system. We're, you referred to Volcker uh, right before I came on, I was watching. Uh, well, in, in the 1980s, uh, I think federal debt to GDP was about 25%. Right now it's 120%. So in terms of, in terms of what they can do and if, how high rates can go if, if this deleveraging event occurs, uh, well, because if you sell anything in a, in a liquidity crunch. Uh, And so what does that mean? It means higher financing costs. It means a huge recession. And honestly, this sounds really dark, but just on on the debt loads, it means a depression. Um, And so uh, the Fed isn't, I mean, not that they're not gonna let it happen, but there's gonna be some response. And ultimately I believe the response is mass debt monetization and um, the mother load of stimulus, which makes 2020 look like a joke. So takeaways, Uh, the response to all of this madness a non-sovereign global store of value that has absolute scarcity and a production cost uh, is a pretty good bet uh, over the short term. Expect volatility, uh, both to the upside and to the downside. And for that reason, I would say if you have any mark-to-market leverage, meaning you know exchange rate risk, if you have Bitcoin in cold storage, you're fine. You're in, you're insulated. You're are going to be okay. Go go you know go take a nap for a year and come back and tell me what Bitcoin's price is at. Um, but over the short term, yeah, I think there potentially is a is a you know chance for some some uh, some craziness and some liquidity crunch type conditions. So for dip buyers, uh, you might get a, a pretty nice opportunity, but uh, nothing is a sure bet. That's just kind of what I'm seeing.
0: When you start to think about um, Bitcoin's price, I think in the short term we saw Bitcoin rise. You know, at first maybe it was up, uh, or I think it went down actually the night of the invasion, it went down, you know, a couple of percent. Then it was up as high as 25% from the start of the invasion. Now we're probably sitting somewhere in the, you know, 10, 12, uh, 15% range. Is that what you would expect in this situation? Do you think that it was a less severe move than you would have expected? Um, Is tax selling coming into April 15th still, you know, kind of part of this? Like just talk to me about the the price and what your expectations have been and kind of how you see uh, this playing out
1: moving forward. Yeah, so 2022 has been kind of a landmark year in the sense that we had the Canadian trucker convoy with the government explicitly just freezing bank accounts, uh, seizing, seizing money, seizing assets, and then followed up by kind of an order of magnitude or two larger than this. And yes, you know, it was a sovereign nation that kind of committed some, some sort of war crime. Yeah, I, I understand that. But Russia had its foreign exchange reserves frozen. Um, so that was kind of for, for a lot of macro like economists. Uh, and kind of, you know, followers of this incumbent petrodollar monetary system, they were saying, whoa, this is a huge line in the sand. Uh, Sovereign foreign exchange reserves, if they can just be frozen, are they really money? Um, And I think that kind of has made the case for not only Bitcoin, but I mean, I think gold is close to breaking all-time highs today um, for, uh, you know, bearer assets in general, something that's not someone else's liability. And so, At the same time, you have people that are kind of trading Bitcoin on day-to-day timeframes or trading correlations. They're trading it based on dollar strength, which increases during kind of financial condition tightness. Uh, But on the other hand, you have people that are saying, wait, uh, I think the end game to this is going to be more money printing. And honestly, I I don't think that there's many things that you can truly own in this environment, Um, whether you're a political dissident or, you know, whatever the case may be. um, Maybe you just want freedom money. The reality is, there's not many things that you can completely control, uh, and really, there's nothing else that you can completely control that you can guarantee no one can can arbitrarily create more of or dilute uh, kind of the total supply. And so, in that case, the the bull case for Bitcoin has honestly never been stronger. Uh, there's just kind of some short to medium term headwinds, I believe, um, that could that could lead to somewhat of a of a good buying opportunity if we get that, uh, and on what time frame. I'm not entirely sure, but this is just kind of what what I'm seeing. So long-term bullish. I still have uh, more Bitcoin than I ever have, and, and I'm feeling really good about it. Joe, John, what questions you guys got? Dylan, what's going on with gold, man? It's uh, it's at an all-time high or close to it, at least. What are your thoughts on on uh, gold bugs celebrating what they should be looking forward to and so on? Yeah, I mean, congrats. Uh, you know, I mean, the gold and Bitcoin communities bicker back and forth, uh, but I think you know, really, they they're on the same kind of mission of sound money uh, and something that governments can manipulate uh, I guess maybe you could argue that gold the paper gold price could be manipulated but uh, something that's outside the hands of you know 12 12 men in a boardroom uh, deciding you know whether to arbitrarily increase the price of money or decrease it and so you know congrats uh, I think you know we <laughs> the gold and Bitcoin community has more aligned than uh, many of the gold investors think and maybe even Bitcoin as well but uh, I have my bets placed on on uh, where the future is going. This is the only gold I own, uh, but I'm, ha- <laughs> I'm happy with it. I like John, it. <clears throat> Dylan, when you look at what's happening in Russia and stuff, is everyone they can't really seem like they can go to
0: stocks. They don't know if a recession's coming or not. Is this a big event for Bitcoin in the sense of like this is the perfect storm? People should be running to this asset um, and not kind of putting their money elsewhere when they need liquidity.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I'm, a, I'm a f- in favor of right now, just continuing to auto stack Bitcoin, but also stacking a little, uh, you know, stash of cash. I don't think that's a bad idea. Uh, cash over the long term, I believe is trash. Uh, out, you know, Ray Dalio has been saying that, but uh, when you have this uh, kind of debt system or this, this monetary system as engorged in debt as it is, you're going to see these rapid unwinds, these rapid deleveraging that happen, right? March of 2020, everyone thinks it was just the COVID lockdowns. Uh, the reality was that the system was was so over levered that some sort of volatility explosion liquidity event likely would have came it would probably it definitely wouldn't have been as bad but it would have come it's the same thing that happened in in 08 it wasn't a function of of this thing or that thing it was just kind of a mathematical uh, event that happened because there was credit impairment and everything counterparty risk and balance sheets unwound Um, so i think that's what we're experiencing uh obviously the commodity and you know uh event and the russia ukraine war has uh, a pretty major role in this uh in the inflationary spike but yeah uh i mean in terms of uh kind of a boon for bitcoin uh over the long term yeah the, the rubicon has been crossed in my opinion uh in terms of the legit the legitimization of this asset and so short term headwinds long term never been more bullish and i think a lot of people are waking up to it gotcha
0: Dylan, when you start to think about uh, bitcoin's price, what do you think um, what do you think drives kind of change here? Is it just literally more people being educated more time in the market uh, and it does its thing? Do you think that there's some sort of inflection point that occurs uh, whether it is you know a nation state buying it or, or whatever like how do you kind of look at into the future various events around Bitcoin?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've had a lot of people uh, in my replies and DMs being like, hey, you, you know, you're not posting as much on-chain stuff. Um, and, and the reality is the on-chain supply dynamics look fantastic. Um, I think more so just in terms of if you're looking at the market right now and what's driving everything, it's this macro backdrop that we're describing. But off the top of my head, and don't quote me on this, but I believe uh, in terms of Bitcoin held over the last three months, Eighty-six percent of supply hasn't moved. I think that's that's an all-time high or close to an all-time high. Over the last six months, I believe it's around seventy-five percent, almost an all-time high. And then for a year, sixty-one percent hasn't moved. I think that's also, uh, if not an all-time high, very close to it. Um, so you have a really kind of squeezy supply side uh, in terms of the free float isn't all that much. Uh, and I you know my personal kind of thesis here uh, is that you know if we see and you know I believe when we see some sort of liquidity event deleveraging. Uh, Bitcoin's exchange rate will take a hit. Maybe there's some derivative market liquidations. Price goes down, the the skeptics come out and say, you know, it's dead, it's not a store of value. It it couldn't stand a recession, it couldn't stand a liquidity crunch. Uh, Whether or not the Fed response time is fast or not, uh, I think Bitcoin forms a bottom. And ultimately, uh, I believe the monetary easing will come back. But regardless, that stackers of last resort and just how kind of uh, tight that free float supply is of an absolutely scarce asset, uh, I think on the other side of this, Bitcoin rips unlike any other asset, similar to kind of maybe not a direct repeat of 2020, uh, but kind of a pretty similar, uh, you know, central bank or uh, fiat system unwind uh, with really solid supply dynamics in Bitcoin leading to kind of a parabolic run. That's kind of my base case. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to stack at a discount. Uh, and I think, you know, that's on the other side of this is when Bitcoin truly kind of everyone comes to realize it's the thing that you need to own. Uh, during kind of this mass debasement of fiat currency.
0: It it's uh it's pretty crazy to watch this. Um let's go to the extreme. Is the dollar failing as the global reserve currency? Is there another currency that replaces it other than a non sovereign uh you know currency? Like how do you think about uh just more of the like geopolitical and like nation state currencies, reserve status, et cetera, as this all unfolds?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if you, you know, some people have been saying, and I think Dahlia's thesis is, you know, the CCP and the Renminbi and and all of that. Uh, and I personally, I, I disagree with that because uh, in order for a world reserve currency, you have to keep your capital account open. You have to allow for free uh, free trade uh, and, you know, capital inflows and outflows outside of your borders. Uh, and so I don't see that occurring. And in terms of, you know, the euros cooked. Uh, and there's really no other kind of legitimate, uh option uh other than the dollar like we we rag on the dollar a lot but the reality is the dollar is the best of the worst um in in terms of in terms of stability and kind of uh holding its holding its value up there's so much dollar denominated debt out there that during kind of these financial crises the reason that everything sells off and the dollar actually spikes you can think of it as a dollar kind of bidding is because that dollar denominated debt and when debt defaults occur that dollars are being like actively destroyed and so that's why kind of the dollar still is king, uh, even, though, even though we think the end game, and I, I truly believe that the end game is, that you know, it's melting in value. We have kind of super spikes in this, in this dollar value. But in terms of legitimate replacements, uh, nothing else even really comes close, which is why a lot of people are talking about kind of a commodity-backed currency in the East, uh, in terms of like Russia and China and a basket of commodities. Some are saying gold, some are saying you know trade-weighted basket, I personally believe the end game is Bitcoin. Uh, and I, you know, I don't expect Putin to come out and say, you know, I'm a Bitcoin bull tomorrow or even say it at all. Uh, but I, I think the game theory points to Bitcoin uh, in this kind of trustless environment um, being embraced eventually by individuals, institutions and sovereigns everywhere. But uh, we're still pretty early in that game, I imagine.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. Um, all right. We got to let you go. But before we do that, how are we looking on uh, on followers? It's like your Super Bowl, man. You you've been all over this. I feel like uh, <laughs> what what oh one hundred and thirty three point three. That's a lot of threes in there. Maybe we next the next three stop is three hundred thousand because everyone who's watching this right now is going to go follow you on Twitter. Obviously,
1: that's. I think I've been shadow banned. I, to be honest, I, some people were replying to me, and they and then people replied to them, and they couldn't see the tweet above it. So. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe that's that's hurting me. Maybe not. But well, that's the Twitter platform. They, you can send them to your newsletter, the Deep Dive. <laughs> that, yeah, what you're, you're thinking right. You're what thinking a right. plug, yeah. John. Let's go. Yeah, subscribe to the Deep Dive. We cover all this stuff in depth every day, uh, and we're putting out monthly reports that are 30, 30 pages long with a bunch of charts. And so, uh, if you find that valuable and you you like some of this stuff that we cover, uh, make sure to check it out. Awesome man! Thank you so much for coming on. You always got uh, tons
0: of great information, uh, and uh, the world is changing quickly. So, uh, as uh, uh, as I always say, keep your eyes peeled, your head on a swivel. You never know what's going to happen,
1: right? Indeed. See you guys right, later. Everybody. See you later. Yeah.